the title of the message is Make Your Purpose God's Purpose, It's Good. Make Your Purpose God's Purpose, It's Good. Now, I mentioned this Friday night. This is a time, of course, it's a major mixed bag. We're amidst the holidays, right? So when I say mixed bag, here's what I mean. This is the time we're celebrating faith. You know, faith is being informed by the one who knows all things. Faith is not merely subjective. It's not something based upon imagination. Faith is being informed by the one who knows all things. And, um, and, and therefore, it is being informed by what is true. It is being informed by revelation because God has revealed himself. So this is the time we're celebrating faith. But it's also a time in our culture that there's a bunch of fables, right? And stories that are made up and imagination. So it's kind of a mixed bag. That's what I mean by a mixed bag. And then you have, of course, celebration of a savior. But then on the other hand, there's talk about Santa, right? And there's talk about redemption, but then there's celebration of this, uh, you know, reindeer by the name of Rudolph, which is such a weird name. I mean, okay, Rudolph, you know? And when I was a kid, I because I swore I saw him in the sky, you know, in his blinking nose. I just didn't know we were in the flight pattern of LAX at the time, you know, but I was so into it. And then you have, you know, then you have Messiah, which means anointed one. I love the term and the reality versus monster materialism, which can be so stressful. How many of you would agree with that? Could you raise your hand? Just the materialism can be so stressful. And uh, so you got that mixed bag. In fact, I heard a story about some boys that were visiting their grandparents. And when they went to bed, one of the boys began to pray. And yet he started to pray really loud. He's saying, Lord, I pray that, you know, I pray for a bike for Christmas and I pray for a new football. And his brother said, why are you shouting? I mean, God can hear you. He said, I know God can hear me. But I'm not so sure grandma can hear me, you know. So it's just like, hey, you know, that, that's the key, right? So it's really a mixed bag. Here's the thing. On a more serious note, what comes to focus at this time is, are these elephants in the room in our life? And an elephant is an issue. Sometimes it's an unresolved issue. And it becomes prominent in our life. It's generally kind of a bummer. We haven't tackled it yet. It's there. we kind of out of sight, sometimes out of mind, but it's there. We don't want to face it or look at it. And, it's, and then during this time, elephants come into focus because this is a time of heightened memory. It's true. And it can be good, but it can also be very painful. I have a dear friend who said, look, I'm going to go visit my mom, but I know I'm going to face the chair, he said. The chair, the chair. You had the empty chair where my dad used to sit. He said, the most wonderful come, my best friend. I know he's in heaven and stuff, but I'm going to go there. I'm going to visit mom. That's going to be a blessing. But there's that stinking empty chair. And it's so painful. And I can imagine there's some in this room. There's been death in the family or death of a loved one. I'm so sorry about that this year. And at this time, now that's coming into focus at this time. You're realizing there are some who are not here any longer. They're with the Lord. But in addition to that, listen, this is the time where, you know what happens? Decisions come into focus. You know, we're going to talk about this in a little bit. It's been said, we make choices, but our choices make us. A lot of truth to that. And therefore, at the end of the year, as we're heading into the new year, what comes into focus is, hey man, 
the choices I've made maybe a couple of years ago, even this year, set my life in a trajectory. Were they good choices? Were they not so good choices? Sometimes these choices are accompanied with regret. And so we're dealing with these things. Plus, it's a time where we're wondering if we have momentum into the new year. You know, it's like, okay, and sometimes we do. And we have momentum financially. So it's like, yes, awesome. Sometimes this is the time of year where like, oh man, I'm starting into 2020 and it's like, I just don't have the momentum financially or relationally or with my health and things. Again, elephants in the room. It's not an easy time, not to mention a sense of transcendence uh, is a part of this time of year. By that I mean, we long for that which is beyond the physical. It's true. Because what we see is not only what exists. One person said it this way, non-physical things are real. They are the stuff of life. He said our lives pivot on real things that are non-material. Ideas, emotions, imagination, memory, relationships, intuition, suffering, joy, and faith. He said to believe only in what you can see seems a peculiar form of blindness. And this is perhaps why around this time when we see lights and things, it, it triggers, it triggers the, the transcendent. It triggers imagination. It triggers a longing, actually, and a thirst for what is true. The great Oxford professor C.S. Lewis said, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is I was made for another world. Probably these earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy, but to arouse, to suggest, listen, the real thing. So in other words, like this is the time of nostalgia, lights, memory, imagination, um, you know, narratives. Is there truth? Has God revealed himself? And we kind of long, I just kind of want to make a connection. And, and it's actually speaking of the thing that, like, this speaks of a real thing that we're longing for. The question is, like, who is this real thing? Or what is this real thing? What is the ultimate real thing? You know, it's interesting. It's no mistake in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. In fact, Will Graham was speaking on this Friday night that Jesus is called wonderful. Think about that. Wonderful. I mean, he and he alone, the person work of Jesus, you know, satisfies the deepest longing for transcendence. Can I hear a big amen to that? And he's the ultimate reality, the deep longing of our hearts. He's known and called wonderful and counsel and almighty God and everlasting father and prince of peace. Now, why am I mentioning all of this? Here's why. You guys, as a church family, I want us this morning to just dive into to like that which is true, that which is transcendent, it is bigger than what we can see and understand in the moment. And that is this passage that so beautifully identifies that there is a work that is taking place in our life, an absolute guarantee that all things work together for that. Can someone tell me? Good. Okay, now, there's more to this promise. There's no doubt about it. In fact, this is actually a wonderful passage that's sometimes trivialized. Because we actually just did, we know that all things work for the good, right? We just stopped there, and, and, and then we're like interpreting, well, what is good, actually? Because I'm going to tell you something. 
I have these beautiful grandsons and I have a beautiful granddaughter. Oh man, my heart is overwhelmed by all of them. But I have a grandson, man, he loves food and he always has. And I'm just, I'm not even kidding since he was a little guy, John Paul. So I am telling you right now, if I were to say to him, hey man, something really good is gonna take place. He is thinking his grandmother's blueberry pie. I am telling you right now. The highest good is Gamma's blueberry pie, warm with ice cream, preferably haagen Are you tracking with me on this, right? Okay, so it's like, well, what is good? Okay, let's, let's soften this passage a little bit, okay? Like, look at this. We have a bunch of, we're going to put a bunch of phrases up on the screen. Thank you so much, Justin. Look, first of all, Paul is pinning this, and he says, and we know. And we know. Well, who is the we here? And what is it that we know? Do, do we belong in this category? Can we be able to say, whatever the thing we know, or, you know, he's referring to, would we be able to say, hey, look, I know this. It's an emphatic declaration. Are you guys tracking with me on this? And we know. Like, what, what do we know? Okay, watch this. Next, next phrase. That all things, all things? How much is all things? I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a little word, all, three letters, A-L-L. It's a little word, but speaks of a lot potentially of things. We know. Like the one who's pinning this is like emphatic. No, no, no. I'm, I know this. Guarantee, I know it. It's not something just merely subjective. I know it. All things. Good, bad, ugly. Is that part of all? Work together. Like, work together. I mean, all things work together. In what way do they work together? I mean, how can they work together? How how do we know all things work together? How long does that actually take that they all work together? All these various experiences and parts of our lives, like a piece of the puzzle, how is it that they all work together? I mean, that's like, that's blowing my mind. And by by the way, the next is for the good. I mean, it, it doesn't say now all things are good. I mean, the death of a child is not good. Cancer is not good. Addiction is not good. War is not good. Blasphemy is not good. Divorce, it's not good. But it's telling us that all things work together for the good. But the question is, like, what is good? The title of the message is, make your purpose God's purpose, because it's good. Can I hear an amen to that? Like, well, what is it? What's the highest good? Yeah, but what is the good? I mean, either way, good here is actually defined in its context and promised and qualified to a specific group. And and it is to those who love God, have relationship with Him through His Son, to those who are called according to His purpose. So God has a purpose for life, for your life, for my life. What is God's purpose for our life? It goes on to say, we have it up on the screen, for whom he foreknew, he predestined, doesn't mean you're a robot, a pre-plan in place, Father thought it, Jesus bought it, the Holy Spirit brought it, to be conformed into the image of his son. Look up here for a second. Oh, the purpose of life, God's purpose. God's purpose for life is really beautiful. It's hard in his heart. It's all behind it is the Father to conform us into his son, 
Does that mean I lose my personality? Does that mean I wear weird clothes? Does that mean I speak differently? No, you don't lose your personality, but you gain the character that God intended you to experience and actually to live your potential to influence in this generation, impacting it for the good and future generations as well. And moreover, he says, whom he predestines, he called. There came a time that he ran us down. And to those he called, he justified, big term, just as if you never sinned. That's the work of Jesus on the cross. And to whom he justified, he's glorified, which says, look, this is a complete work in Jesus. It's like we're pre-cooked. Once he begins a good work, it's going to be done. We're in process. We've been rescued. We are being rescued, and we will be rescued. God's purpose is to grow us more like Jesus. His chief purpose is, now listen, not truly to be a bummer, just perspective. His chief purpose is not like our personal comfort, although he's not disinterested in our comfort by any stretch of the imagination, nor is it our personal happiness. His chief aim is higher than that, and that is transforming us like his son. Now, that's not to to say there's not comfort in it, because there is. But listen, Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they shall be filled. Not those who hunger and thirst for comfort, that actually leads often to addictions. Or those who hunger and thirst for happiness, that too leads down into pathways that are self-defeating and hurt other people. But blessed, the, the one who gets the applause of the Father, is the one who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. Can I hear a big amen? They are the one that are filled. How do we know all things are working for the good? Here's point number one, you guys. We know the promise is true because behind it is the Father, Son, and Spirit who are all at work. Hey, it's a God thing. It's a God thing. Once once Christ comes into your life, there is a power. There There are three persons, one in nature, who are all at work to ensure it actually takes place. Let's talk. Hey, like, who is the Father? Oh, man. Behind it all, He's a source of life. He dwells in unapproachable light. And yet He's revealed Himself. He sent His Son, who, despising the circumstances of the cross, because He was bearing the sin of the world, He trusted the Father who worked all things out for the good, in fact, the greatest good. So, can you, can you say that again? Oh, He's, yeah. I mean, behind it all is the Father, He's a source of all life. Can I hear a big amen to that? Dwells in unapproachable. All good things come from him. He sent his son who despised the shame of the cross. He's bearing the sin of the world. But he trusted the father in it. And as a result, it brought about the greatest good that's ever been known in the history of man. And this means that like Jesus, you and I can actually despise our present circumstances in the sense that, man, I, I don't like the stress, and I don't like the shattered dreams or the injustice. I mean, faith doesn't deny that these things are real, but because of the cross and resurrection, it's been demonstrated that Jesus is actually creating all things new in himself. So now I have in my life a whole other reality that even those that have been shattered dreams and pain and stinking injustice and injury, it's like because Jesus hung blood, gave his life on the cross, trusted the Father, resurrected, it's demonstration, demonstration, he's creating all things new in himself. But there's more because the Bible says 
that the presence of God literally takes residence in our life. Check up, or check out, I should say, this verse on the screen. We have it, Romans 8.15. Listen to what Paul says. The spirit you received does not make you, what's the next word, you guys? Does not make you what? Slaves. Well, that's, that's an important underscore. I know it's kind of weird, you know, we're, you know, living 2019. There's unfortunately still slavery in our world today. This is 2,000 years ago. A lot of slaves. We've got to talk about it. So he says that you, that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. By him, we cry, Abba, Father. Look, if Paul was here today, you know, and this one, the greatest communicator in the world, greatest contextualizer of bringing the truth of the Lord God of Israel to the world, right? He might say this. He said, look, you guys, when you come into right relationship let me, with the Lord, let me identify what this relationship is like. Okay, it's, it's not a performance-based sense of security and identity. It's not an employer-employee relationship. That your sense of well-being is based upon your performance. And you have reviews every, like, whatever, couple months and stuff. You're like, oh, man, I hope I'm doing good because I'm not doing good. I, I, don't, I don't have a sense of well-being, and I just may be let go. Okay, so Paul would, Paul would say, hey, man, that's a slave mentality. Because a slave in the Roman world had no sense of confidence of, his, of, of the relationship they had with their slave owner. It was totally based upon their performance. That is not the basis of your relationship with your heavenly father. Can I hear an amen to that? No way. No, 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 no. Listen, look, we have a tendency, like if I blew it last night, and I did, man. I had two major big monster cups of eggnog. I blew it. You know what I'm saying? Okay. No, that was the night before, I think. But anyways, I'll talk about that in a second. Um, but let's just say you just blew it. I mean, just totally you messed up. I don't know. You got in this fight with someone. You're a believer. And you wake up. Would you have any sense in the morning of the Lord's favor and blessing in your life? Of course, you know, look, there's consequences, decisions, and we all blow it. We need to confess our sins and stuff. But if, if you wake up and say, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to sweat some good works out. I should go to church and then I should feel a little better because I've, you know, got on a performance treadmill and, and therefore I have a greater confidence that God loves me, he's going to bless me and stuff. That is a slave mentality. That's not the basis of our relationship. We, we, the Father's behind this, the Son is behind us, the Spirit is behind all of this, working things out for the good. You know, there are times that we're all tempted with disillusionment with regards to God's love, and one is because of what's happening inside of us. Sometimes that's a battlefield, there's awful stuff, and it's like, I can't believe that God loves me, you know, I, because I just had these internal battles, and sometimes we battle and we're disillusioned with his love, because what's happening outside of us, I can't believe I got in an accident. I can't believe there's been death. You know, it's, it's, I, I, I'm having a, time, a hard time in interpreting circumstances in relation to God's love. It seems like he has abandoned me. And yet we just read, nothing can separate you from God's love. You say, well, what is God's love? Look, check this up on the screen. Three things in perspective. One is relationally, it means he's never going to leave you nor forsake you. Can I hear an amen to that? He's with you and he's with you just as he's always been. Listen, same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead and dwells you. He's with you like he was Paul and Mary and the others. 
It also means provisionally, he will provide the grace you need in whatever situation you're in. He'll provide the grace you need in whatever situation you're in. And his love is redemptive, which means if there's breakdown, he's working to bring wholeness, not to be silly, but he takes lemons. And yeah, man, he makes lemonade. That's just a flat out fact. The all things that are working together for the good, boy, this is such an important perspective. This is point number two is, hey, it includes good decisions that we made and the not so good decisions that we made in life. You know, I mentioned this earlier, but we are to make good godly decisions. Our choices are important in life. And the Lord wants us to be merciful to love justice and mercy and to walk humbly and to love our neighbors ourselves. And it's been said, look, our choices we make, but then ultimately our choices make us. There's a lot of truth to that, but that's potentially frightening as well. Because look, one of the earliest memories I have, and it was around Christmas, one of the earliest memories I had, the first memory I had, who really cares, right? Do you want to hear this? Okay, is I put my finger in a fan, but I remember that, okay. The other one, but I remember my, my sister, she, and I'm maybe three years of age, you know, I don't, it's a long time ago, maybe it's earlier even. And for some reason, I was just giving false narrative after false narrative after false narrative. I was just like, I just learned a lie. And I guess I was lying about everything. I mean, you know, I, Whatever, I was a kid. And my sister, my eldest sister, Kim, who's some six years older, she said, Greg, she said, she told me, she said that, listen, in heaven, you have so many lights, she said. In heaven, there's so many lights. And every time you lie, one of those lights goes out. I'm telling you, I remember this, I promise you. And she said, and if there's no more lights left, you're, you're not gonna be able to go to heaven. Okay, I look up, I just see black. You know, it's like, I have, I have, like my quote is done, I'm cooked, right? So I start crying and she starts trying to backtrack because clearly she fed me some major false doctrine. Let's just be honest, right? But anyways, the point is, is that decisions are important and, they, and we know they are and they impact our lives, they impact other people. But do we get locked in? I mean, Ray Bradbury, and I've mentioned this before, wrote this short story entitled The Sound of Thunder. And it's about this illegal time machine. Goes back in time. The big idea is you can go back in time. You know, maybe the Roman Empire, maybe the first century, church in Jerusalem, but you can't touch anything. And and that means, you know, even like, because you might kill a mouse. And and if you, you kill a mouse, you step on a mouse or something, then you have future families of that mouse destroyed. And so in the narrative, um, he says, right? Uh, right? It said Eccles, and, and all the families of the families of that one mouse, with a stamp of your foot, you annihilate the first one, then a dozen, then a thousand, a, a million, a billion of poss- possible mice. So they're dead. So what? So what? Travis answered. What about the foxes that need those mice to survive? What, 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 what 10 mice a fox dies for want of 10 foxes a Lion stars for one of a lion, all manner of insects and vultures and infinite billions of life forms are thrown into chaos and destruction. And then it said, the stomp of your foot on one mouse could start an earthquake. And the effects 
of which could shake our earth and destinies throughout time to their very foundations with the death of one caveman, a billion others yet unborn are throttled in the womb. Perhaps, perhaps Rome never rises in the seven hills. Perhaps uh, Europe is a forever dark forest forest and only Asia waxes healthy teeming. Step on a mouse, you crush the pyramids. Step on a mouse and you leave your print like the Grand Canyon across eternity. Queen Elizabeth might never be born. Washington might never cross the Delaware. There might never be a United States at all. So be careful. Stay on the path. Never step off. I see, said Eccles. Then it wouldn't pay for me to even touch the grass, right? And he says, absolutely. The point is, what? The point is, hey, the choices that we make have consequences. I mean, that is encouraging, but it's also potentially frightening. Let's put it in perspective. There's no one in this room that has the needed wisdom to make all the right decisions all the time. Okay, here's the thing. But yet, by the grace of God, we have the potential, by God's grace, to make the most important decision, which is to embrace the Son in our life. Can I hear a big amen? And as a result, now you have the Father and Son working, and the Holy Spirit working in our life, actually overriding, overriding poor decisions. Like the promise that once Christ came into our lives, there's this overriding influence of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're like genius chemists who take potential deadly influences, like chemicals, like sodium and chloride, both of which are deadly in themselves, but when you put them together, make something good, like salt, right? For health and life. And so in a similar way, it's like once the Lord comes into our life, though there is some deadly and bummer realities that can take place in our life, we have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit who are at work. And ultimately, just muse on this, because it's just, we know all things work together for the good. To those who love God are called according to his purpose, and his highest good is to conform us to the image of Jesus, and that is taking place. And so during a time of like, hey man, I'm longing for a sense of transcendence, trying to find in some Christmas tree lights or in memory or sense of nostalgia, hey, just muse on this. Jesus is the hero of your life. Can I hear a big amen? He is. He's the hero of your life. And point number three is, look, he's working. And whether it's swiftly or slowly, he's working it out. If you're writing down notes, write the term dothan, D O. T-H-A-N. Why do I mention it? Because at Dothan, you have Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery. And he ends up in Egypt, in Potiphar's house, falsely accused, ends up in a prison. And then it becomes known he's like the prophet. And the Pharaoh finds out he's majorly helpful during times of famine. He just becomes this great administrator, really kind of the savior of Egypt, the savior of the known world, the savior ultimately of the very brothers who betrayed him. But that, that was a process over many years. All started at Dothan. Years later, same place, you have none other than Elijah. And he and his servant are surrounded by enemies, Elisha, surrounded by enemies, they cry out to Almighty God, and the Lord brings swift deliverance. 
Well, why am I mentioning this? Because I just want you to know the Lord's working in your life. Whether swiftly or slowly, he is faithfully at work. You be encouraged. All things work together for the good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And as we transition to our last point, look, I make your purpose God's purpose because it's good. And what is it? Here's point number four. If the goal for our lives is not to be like Jesus, the goal is too small. If, if our chief purpose is not like, okay, I want to be a part and, and, help, and help just be open to what the Lord's doing in my life because he's worked in me to do his good pleasure and I want to work it out. And his chief good is to conform me and transform me in the image of his son. And if that's not the chief purpose of our life, chief goal, then our goal is not high enough. That's where it needs to be. You know, we've been learning about what it is to be a disciple. And a couple of weeks ago, in fact, if you didn't hear that message, I really want you to go on the web and, and, get, and listen to that message because, um, because a follower of Jesus is the disciple. The question is, what is a disciple? And, and, and long story short, we just put it in its right perspective because we need to look at it in the, in the context of a relationship with a rabbi, actually. A rabbi. Jesus was identified as a rabbi. Who's the king and the savior? Yes. Point is, you had a group of men and women who followed Jesus, was with Jesus, was becoming more like Jesus, ultimately did what he did through the power of his Holy Spirit. So to be a Christian, right? It's like, what is a Christian? A Christian is a disciple, is a follower of Jesus. Can I hear an amen to that, right? We say a believer. Yeah, what is a believer though? Well, they're a disciple. They're, they're a follower of Jesus. And that means we're with him. That means we, we become more like him. That means we do what he did. And Jesus came, he came to stop sin because sin has the potential to bring everything down. I mean, sin has to be stopped. It has to be stopped. I mean, quote Christianity, a right relationship with God has a lot to do with breaking godless cycles. And it's like he gets a hold of our life it's that we benefit from what he accomplished on the cross. We paid the debt of our sin and his resurrection gives us power over sin. And it's like, okay, Greg, and all of us rise church. Listen, I'm going to send you out in the world. I want you to be like uh, destructive cycle breakers. The sin needs to stop kind of with you. Now, we're all in construction. We all still sin. And the Bible says if we say we don't, we're liars because, you know, we're not perfect. But Jesus identified us as salt, where the preserving influence of salt in the first century was the, the, the ancient refrigerant of the world. So we have this preserving influence and where the light of the world were to do good works that glorify our heavenly father. We, we can't reach the world, but we can influence our sphere of influence. In other words, we, we all can't reach the entire world, but we can influence our worlds. Are you guys with me on that? So we have 15, 10, 5, 20, 30, 50, 100 people that are in our sphere of influence. And I, I just, look, this holiday season, I want you to think of your family. I want you to think of the people you work with, your neighbors, our church family. And I just want to tell you, God's purpose God's high purpose, what is good, is that you, you would ensure Jesus is there. 
That's a high calling. We're ambassadors of Christ. But what does that look like? We're never more like the Lord than when we forgive. That's not easy to do. That's not emotionally based. But we're not going to hold the debt over their head. Listen, I, I'm gonna, I have a friend that, that was molested as a, as a child. It became apparent to him a little bit later in his life. He thought, you know, I'm going to get on a plane. I'm going to go find that person. When they open the door, to be honest with you, I'm going to take a, I'm going to take a, I'm going to take a bat. Aren't you glad you came here? You know, here's, I'm going to take a bat. I'm just going to knock him right in his face and tell him that's from the six-year-old boy that you molested. And the Lord spoke to his heart. Listen, if I'll just paraphrase a little, one of the reasons the Lord wants us to forgive is He doesn't want us to, under the injury of the injustice. And so it's like, well, how are we free from this? You know, the greatest need we have is to, is to receive God's love at the cross. And actually, the great need we have, too, is to give God's love and forgive us and allow for new beginning. That is, that is by the power of the Holy Spirit. But we got to step into that. Otherwise, that injury destroys us, right? And that guy ends up, pops him in the face, whatever. And, and what, what's accomplished from that? Well, something's accomplished, but not what God's intended. There's not wholeness and shalom and healing in the world. But we are where we're at to be the hands and feet of Jesus to forgive and, and to love as well. Listen, in interpersonal relationships, the reality is there's going to be tension. It's not easy. We've talked about this a thousand times. I just want to remind you of it because the purpose of God in our life is to conform us into the image of Jesus and Jesus embodied love. I mean, he's on the cross. Forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. Radically suffering, right? Not being reactive. This reality has probably had the most profound influence in my life, to be honest, this very thing. And that is that in interpersonal relationships, when there's adversity and, and struggle and, and you want to react and you really want to give them a piece of your mind, love retreats. We talked about this, love retreats and suffering, then it advances in kindness. It's between the retreat and the advance. It's one of the greatest learning curves in our life where we're learning about, hey man, there's other people broken too. They have pain. They, you know, a lot of people speak out of their pain. This person's weird, but why are they weird? Sometimes they got pain. And it's like, I'm gonna back up and I'm gonna, in the process, become more like Jesus. So it's like, forgive, love. And man, tell the truth. Be bold. Hey, listen, you know, Pete started out us right. He said, look, we are here to worship the king. Please hear this. Look, we live in a great country. Can I hear a big amen to that? Okay. And you got to really, really hear me on this. Otherwise, you're gonna, you may think, man, this is really weird. Just hear me on this, okay? There has never been ever in the history of man any empire or nation that has survived ever, ever. It's all broken down. It all has a life, a sh- shelf life. We live in a phenomenal country, a republic, representative government, and law. You thank God for this. And the pursuit of life, liberty, and, and happiness and stuff. But, but listen, there's one kingdom that will last forever. It's an everlasting kingdom for which Jesus said he is the king. There's only one. 
And when he began his public ministry, he said, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. So in other words, the king has come. The king has landed. He's building a kingdom. He first, the Messiah, comes as a priest to give his life for the sins of the world. Because here's the thing. I mean, Jesus, if he ruled and reigned on planet Earth, he would be ruling and reigning over broken people. It wouldn't work. First, he brings healing. He he knocks out the darkness behind the darkness, the genius plan of God. He comes to bridge the gap between God and man. He comes as a priest to die for our sins, a mediator, one, the man, Christ Jesus. Then when he returns, having brought healing and wholeness, and as Israel is returning to him, crying out, recognizing him as the son of David, you have this beautiful healing of right relationship with him, and then he is bringing his kingdom to planet Earth. And look, we're a part of that. And actually, we're from the future, because we're going to rule and reign with them. But we're living in a country, man, it's like, I'm so grateful for our country. Listen, my father gave, my grandfather gave his life for our country. Many of our loved ones have, and I'm not being disparaging about our country, okay? But, you know, um, we're starting to legalize ourselves to death. I mean, it's like, yeah, we live in this great land of liberty, but self is becoming the new sovereign, freedom of choice without limits, the new sacred, where we're legalizing our own destruction. And, in, and until any human or any nation or any people is right with God, there's not going to be real peace. And there's peace with God, right relationship, that then I can experience the peace of God, his presence in my life, that then enables me to be a peacemaker, embodying the mission of Jesus, the great shalom, peacemaker, the prince of peace, that ultimately brings justice and wholeness on planet earth. Can I hear a big amen to that? Listen, here's the thing, man. Tell people there's hope, there's a king. The reality is, you know, I'm, I'm proud to be an American, but I'm a monarchist. And that is, I believe in the Davidic king who is coming again. And until he does, there's not going to be the peace and shalom that we're all longing for. And you know, the reality is, look, your neighbors, my neighbors, our friends, our family, in a lot of ways, we all want the same thing. You know, we want healthy families. We, we, we want peace. We want righteousness. The question is, how do we get there? Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except of you through me. So listen, let's, let's be bold to make Jesus know, hey, there's a king, there's breakdown, but there's real peace. God has a peace plan, and it's in his son. Right, listen, I want you to encourage you, my friend, take a second look at Jesus, because he is the king. Can I hear a big amen to that? Lord, let's, let's just pray you guys. Father, thank you for, thank you, for you. You are beautiful. We all want to thank you. You're working it all out. You're all working it out for the good and the highest good, the highest potential for us to experience is in your plan. It's having right relationship with you. Lord, I want to pray.